You're listening to Felony Podcast with your host, Dave Dahl, on the Startup Radio Network. The Felony Podcast explores ex-felons that have gone on to launch their own startups. We explore the ups, the downs, the -the behind-the-bar stories with these founders. Felony Podcast airs every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. My name is Mark Grimes, co-founder of Startup Radio Network. Also with us in the studio, Dave's partner in crime, Lad Justison. And here's a man with a plan, leader of the band, buff and tanned, Dave, the killer bread man, doll. Hey, motherfuckers, welcome to Felony Inc. Podcast, live from downtown Portland, Oregon, in the great Pacific Northwest. I'm your host, Dave Dahl, a four-time loser who finally found a way to win. I replaced what was becoming a habit of incarceration with education, medication, and eventually an honest occupation, the creation of Dave's Killer Bread. But now I'm doing other cool stuff like playing rock and roll, collecting a shit ton of tribal art, and hanging out with my granddaughters as often as I can, among too many other things. We broadcast live every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, and you can listen to previously recorded podcasts at your leisure on your podcast app. With me in the studio, as usual, is Portland's favorite flamboyant felon, Lad Liberace Justison. Mr. Liberace, it's an honor, sir. Wow. <laughs> Flamboyant, huh? Wow. That's a new one, but you know what? Okay. You know, hey, you got to go with what you're uh, tagged with. Yeah, wow. You can, you can live with it. You're, you're a big girl. Hey, you know what? We got some cool stuff coming up. Yeah. We got a little bit on uh, August 4th. Why don't you tell them a well, little bit about something that? before that. On we're August 1st? We're doing an acoustic on uh, acoustic session. Or, That's uh, right. Show. This is a big honor because uh, this is the blues. Uh, this Cascade, is a big blues. Cascade guys. Blues Association. That's right. We're going to do cool. an acoustic set there. I don't know if that's open to the public or not, but we'll let everybody know. Well, there's going to be a lot of people there, so uh, we'll see what's up. And then the big thing is uh, our charity event, which is super cool. For uh, uh, MC. That's right. Yeah. So We're going to we talk wanna... a little bit more about that after a while, but uh, uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about that later in the show. And, uh, you know, I went down yesterday and I met with your former employers, sponsors. Yeah, what, what bad things did they have to say about me this time? Boy, they talked a lot of shit about you. <laughs> they said you were one of the few people that had a hard time with the program and, and really just almost didn't make it. <laughs> but, yeah, you, had, you know what, they still liked you. They uh, did? For some reason, yeah. So what did, what did you accomplish when you were down there? Um, you know, I just talked to him. It's kind of like a an ongoing sort of research uh, quest for me to learn about how I can help ex-felons and many others to get their basic needs met so that they can uh, actually accomplish bigger and better things. So are you so, talking about housing yeah. and treatment and housing, treatment, medication, education, uh, definitely employment. But I want to see them get uh, higher uh, employment, especially in particular uh, the trades. I want to see the trades because I think there's a lot of opportunity in the trades because people aren't really 
focusing on the trades as much anymore. And you hear a lot of, uh, just hear about a lot of uh, jobs that need to be filled. You know, if if you were to start a treatment pro- program, Dave, I think it'd be excellent because then we could get you back into treatment <laughs> to, to heal some of the things that's going on in your life right now, which is yeah. extensive. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, not. And uh, so... Um, also, guess what? What I got a, I got uh, I got added to the board of Bridges to Change. Oh wow! Did you know that? I knew that. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, the uh, the amazing Monta Newton, a former guest, not too long ago, um, asked me to join the second time. The first time I wasn't ready, but this time I'm ready because it fits right into my vision and mission. Well, that's so, a good thing. And and my vision, and just just real quick, my vision is really just to help other people discover their own path to their own Dave's Killer Bread. Well, and you know, Dave, this this is going to kind of coincide with our guest today because I'm sure that he uh, had some of the same hurdles. But I remember I moved up here from uh, Springfield, Oregon to live with you in 2008. And um, even though you were president of Dave's Killer Bread, um, you still lived in a little two-bedroom apartment because <laughs> nobody would rent to you. That's right. So these and are then you, we moved in together eventually, and uh, uh, you know I was always fending off your advances, but uh, but then you finally came out of the closet and everything worked out. Yeah. Not. Uh, okay. You know what? You know what, Lab? We're going to move on. Let's do it. I like today's guest bio. Uh, it's inspiring on a lot of levels. I think I'm going to learn something today. I, think I know you're going to learn something. Listen to this. Mike Pichota. Mike Pichota, he's an online marketing strategist, e-commerce brand builder, and business coach whose no-nonsense, results-driven approach has helped thousands of entrepreneurs grow their businesses. Mike is no stranger to failure and adversity. Having spent 10 years in a Florida prison where Mike used his time to transform his mind, his life, and his world, he emerged a brand new man with a mission to empower others. Mike's journey from inmate to entrepreneur began when he was 18. With a 10-year sentence ahead and a huge choice to make in the midst of an environment designed to make him fail, Mike took up a motto during his prison stay to let it make him and not break him. That's right, and in almost nine years since his release from prison, Mike has overcome societal stigmas, challenges, and numerous failures to build several very profitable and successful businesses, wrote an Amazon bestseller, From Prison to Prosperity, and has helped hundreds of entrepreneurs grow their businesses. Mike has been featured in Entrepreneur Magazine, Florida Today, iHeartRadio, YFS Entrepreneur, and dozens of radio shows and podcasts. Mike is also a dedicated father of two adorable children, John and Sophia. He believes that if he was able to achieve success and financial freedom, then anyone can. Boy, I, I concur with that. Mike is the CEO of Marketing Your Purpose. Welcome to the Felony Inc. podcast, Mr. Mike Pichotti. <laughs> What's up, fellas? Thanks for having me. Man, it's good to have you. Uh, we awesome. we have a ton of stuff to get to, uh, but I think where we would like to begin is uh, sort of at the beginning uh, of your you know of your story. So, just if you want to start 
maybe with uh, the struggles you you dealt with as a child that led you to being a uh, felon. Uh, let's go from there. All right, cool, man. So, you know, I um, grew up in New York as a kid up uh, to about 11 or 12 and uh, moved to Florida. And, you know, my youth, you know, I look back on it now and, you know, I can definitely see all of the signs from my youth that ultimately created the 18-year-old chip on my shoulder, arrogant, thinking the world owes me, individual who wound up robbing multiple convenience stores and going to prison for 10 years. I grew up, while I had the mom and the dad in the home, the home was extremely dysfunctional, Dave. We're talking drug abuse and just the mentality in the home, the entitlement, the just lack of respect for authority, all of these things. And one of the things that's interesting about my story is I grew up as an only child. And growing up as an only child, I grew up in an Italian family, and those things kind of lent themselves to me ultimately being an 18-year-old kid with a huge chip on my shoulder, zero respect for authority, and I literally at 18 believed that there would never be consequences for the choices that I'd made in life. I grew up my mom kind of being an only child, a lot of her identity was wrapped up in being a mom and it kind of flooded over to me. And whenever I would get in trouble, it was always the neighborhood's fault. It was the police's fault. It was, it was my friend's fault. It was the principal. It was always somebody else's fault other than my own. And what that produced was an 18 year old punk kid that had never learned responsibility, had never learned that choices have consequences. I'd always kind of been rescued from them if it was a lawyer or if we'd get probation, you know, for things that I did as a child or, you know, blame somebody else. And so ultimately at 18, man, I'd made some choices that there was no saving me from. And the consequences of those choices ultimately were that 10 year prison sentence. And, you know, I look back and I know that if that would have never happened, Lord knows where I'd be. I would either be dead or doing a life sentence on, on some level. So that's um, that, that's kind of the gist of the story. But really, really just, you know, dysfunctional upbringing, you know, a lot of a lot of violence in my past, um, you know, a lot of violence in the home kind of growing up, you know, just just all of those things just kind of created that perfect storm for me to be an 18 year old ready to go to prison. So at this point, Mike, you uh, you you count that experience, um, the entire that entire experience, including the time you did as an asset. Absolutely, I, I wouldn't change it for anything. I, I obviously, you know, I regret the crimes, you know, and the victims and those circumstances. But the actual time and the experience of being in prison, especially, you know, as an eighteen-year-old, you you don't really know what life is about. You don't really understand most things and life's backwards that way isn't, isn't <laughs> right? life backwards that way it, it is but at 18 you can't tell us nothing you know what yeah. i mean especially if we're you know very similar you know personalities kind of bullheaded strong-willed you can't tell a kid at that age anything and prison allowed me a couple of very interesting things that looking back now being 37 and i've been free about almost going on 10 years now is Prison allowed me to be pulled out of an environment where the only things that I was exposed to were failure, drugs, oppression, violence, gangs, these kind of things. Prison allowed me to be pulled out of that kind of world and at least get the chance to be sober and see that 
wow, there's way more to life than the things that I had seen. And I never would have had that experience. I never would have been able to see anything outside of the, the couple blocks that I lived on. I never would have saw that without prison. So I do, I do not regret it at all. I'm thankful for it. That's amazing. That, that is, uh, sounds totally familiar. Um, so it, when you got out of prison, okay, while you're in prison, first of all, what kind of lessons did you learn that, that changed your future? So prison was interesting. You know, I went at uh, I went at a young age, and I'm sure you know, Dave. You know the the younger folks in prison, the jits or whatever they I don't know what they call them in uh, up in Portland in the Oregon era, but here in Florida, you know the jits, the youngins, the, they're usually the worst folks to do time around. You know, yeah. they're violent. They don't respect life. You know, they don't know how to gladiators. Kill the gladiators, like, and I actually wound up going to a gladiator school with my very first uh, institution that I went to, and. I remember um, I, I kind of went through the county jail experience of, you know, trying to fight the case. And initially they were trying to give me 20. I wasn't even 20 years old yet. And it, it freaked me out. I, I couldn't even comprehend 20 years. I hadn't even lived that long yet. And so as I'm fighting the case and I'm, I'm trying to, you know, get a better sentence, uh, ultimately the best they would do was a 10 year mandatory sentence, which meant no game time. I had to do 3,650 days day for day no chance of getting out early. That was the best offer. And so after good. about six, yeah, yeah, right? And so, you know, of course I was angry and I, you know, I was frustrated, I was disappointed. You know, that initial feeling, I was 19 at the time, that initial feeling is this is it, it's over. By the time I come out the other side of these fences, I'm gonna be an institutionalized 28 year old man, way behind the eight ball with all of my peers already established in life, already families, kids, careers. What am I going to do when I come out? And so they sent me from the county jail. They sent me to the reception center, which is anything other than a reception. You know how it's like. <laughs> the place where they try to humiliate you and break you. Sure. And in this reception center, they, they classified me with the gladiators, the juveniles. And um, every week I'm seeing them bring back buses, uh, the, the, the jits from the other camps with stitches and cuts and all kind of stuff going on. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to walk a different path. And one day I was up in my cell at the reception center and I'm doing push-ups, and I'm, I'm just kind of internally processing the journey that was ahead of me. At that time, it was almost nine years left. And I'm kind of talking to God, kind of talking to myself, working out. And at that moment I had realized that, you know, Dave, I had made a choice and that choice cost me 10 years of my freedom. Now, wait a minute. But I also, at that time, realized that while I had given up 10 years of freedom, I did not have to give up 10 years of life. I just need to ask you a question to butt in for a second. Of course. I don't know how the hell you learned that so so early in life. That's just, <laughs> I mean, just to have that attitude uh, sweep over you, was there some influence that you had? Uh, or did you just... It just hit you that, man, this is not what I want to do anymore, and I can do something about it. I, you know, I, I think it was a combination of things, man. I, you know, I think it was a combination of, of God. You know, I, I, am a, I am a believer in God, and, you know, I was, I was pretty active in, in, in the Bible and, and religious things then together with just realizing, you know, I, 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 I just saw what my choices had, what they had gotten for me, and I kind of just felt... I just, I don't want this anymore. And you know what? If I can use these 10 years that are ahead of me, if I can use every one of these, you know, the state of Florida has afforded me 
nine years to kind of nurture and grow and develop and do things that free people don't have the ability to do. Free people can't study and read books and change their mind on a 24-hour basis out here because there's life, there's kids, there's bills, there's all kind of things that steal our time that I kind of, I don't know if I recognize it in that fashion in prison as I do kind of looking back at kind of maybe some of the ways that I thought back then. You know, I I think I'm kind of wording it, you know, uh, a little bit more maturely than at that time that I did. But I can tell you that being around the gladiators, it was pretty easy for me to see stupid. And I could see, wow, man, like you guys are still doing the same dumb stuff over and over. Going nowhere faster than you. Go way faster, right? And, and and these guys think in their mind they're telling themselves that, oh, it'll be when I get out, I'm gonna do this, and I'm and I can see that I'm like, wow, there's a tremendous disconnect in the things you're doing, the way that you're thinking right now, and then the results you're saying that you want, and so it, it kind of and just kind of made me just press in a different direction. I just didn't want to be that any longer, and. Whatever resources were available to me, whether they were books about other felons that had gotten out and gone into ministry or started businesses or books about the stock market or business or marketing, anything that was positive, anything that I believed knowing it would only be beneficial to me. I just immersed myself in it and just started reading and studying and just trying to understand things and concepts that were foreign to me and that I'd never been exposed to before. It's interesting that not everybody um, has this sort of aptitude and uh, inclination, Um, you know, and especially at 18, 19, whatever you were then, um, that's pretty phenomenal. But if people, a lot of people like me, for instance, I had to learn, I didn't really learn how to live. I tried. I mean, I I read self-help books and stuff over the years. And I, I thought, man, this makes sense, but I could never apply it. Um, you know, but eventually, it wasn't until I was 38 years old that I had my epiphany. And uh, so it's just amazing that you did it at such a young age. But, uh, you know, it's it's cool that, you know, a lot of times people have to fall down a lot more times to... Uh, before they they learn and they start getting up and they get up for basically the last time and even for me um, I don't know how much you know about my story but uh, back in 2013 late 2013 after you know phenomenal success um, you know from from a worldly perspective I was just extremely financially you know I was I I did it I made it Um, after that and the great pleasure and honor that I had to to be able to do the things that I was doing, um, I fell again. So it can happen. It was it was a different sort of Definitely. fall. It was a different fall. I tricked myself, uh, you know, into thinking I could do this, do that, and still be okay. Well, I was wrong. Uh, but anyway, you know, for me, it's been a lot of a lot a hell of a lot of stumbling. I've stumbled, it sounds like, a lot more than you had to. Um, You figured it out early. Maybe a 10-year sentence at 18 would do it to you. I don't know. You know, I I think, and in a lot of ways, I think that's interesting to to point that out because I did see a lot of other guys with, you know, shorter amounts of time that were kind of, you know, we were friends and we were kind of sharing the same perspectives and values in life. And they had a year or two, and most of those guys wound up coming back and forth two, three, four times before 
they finally got it. And so that's why when a lot of people ask me when they realize, like, wow, you did 10 years, like no gap, no break, 10 years, day for day, that that like that's, you know, kind of hard for people to comprehend and, and you know, and, and to kind of be thankful for it. Because, you know, the truth is, Dave, I don't know if two or three or four years would have had the same impact on me. I can't say that, you know, me in 18 or 19 and them giving me three years instead of 10, I go in and I come out the same. I don't think that I would have. I think no, that not. the chance I think, you know, I think the chance to to stumble and, you know, to have some of those things certainly could have been there. And um I do know quite a bit about your story. I watched your video and there were two key things about your story that really spoke to me and were really like, wow, that's that's really powerful. One is the humility angle. Just, you know, when people were asking you, you know, how, how do you do it? And and it is. It, it is huge. I, can't, I couldn't have done it without that. And I would agree with you, man. I, I, I would probably attribute the same angle to my own ability to create some success and, and, and kind of break, you know, shatter the, the mold and, you know, kind of break from the cycle is the ability to come out here and just have humility. I can't tell you how many times I might be walking through Target or something and just kind of realize like, wow, there was a time in my life that I would have literally paid every dollar I had just to be able to walk down the food aisle in Target or, or you know, see something or, or you know, pump gas or like regular things that citizens take for granted and so i think keeping that fresh has helped me it's kind of helped me to stay kind of grounded and humble and not forget you know where Fantastic. i came from and also not you know not forget kind of like you're saying that you know at any time man you know i'm i'm just because i've created success doesn't mean i'll keep creating success you know it's funny and so i need it's funny that so many people think that it's lip service and bullshit that I, that, hey, well, this guy's not humble. What are you talking about? Look at this guy. He's, he's all out there promoting himself, doing all this. Well, you know, <laughs> humility was a prerequisite to that, and I still value humility like nothing else. And uh, I want to, before you get to the second point you wanted to mention, we're going to pass the ball to uh, Liberace. Alrighty. Hey, you know, Mike, I got a I got a question for you coming up here in a minute. This lad, but before I do that, we got to thank some of our sponsors. CPA right. CPA dudes, where accounting is never boring. Their price is not based on time. Instead, customers decide what to pay them. They don't charge you for sending invoices, phone calls, emails, texts, or meetings. They just get the damn job done. You can find them at cpadudes.com slash startup radio. Go get them, laddie. Now, you can ask him a question, but keep in mind that we have a second point that he wants to get to. But if you have a question, right. go ahead. Well, why don't you go ahead and let him get to that second point. But, okay. Uh, yeah, you have a second. Uh, well, sure. Yeah, I, I mean, I could get back to it. But the other piece, you know, when I was watching your videos and just kind of kind of just seeing the story is I think it's almost it speaks even more to your ability to get up because most, you know, being in prison, you know, I was around a lot of guys and two, three, four, five, six times in and out of prison. And I can't recall meeting a single one of them that had not given up on life and had not just been like, you know what, this is it. This is a life for me. And so to see that four times you've been in that prison and it still didn't defeat you. You still, after all of that, after all of the the negative things that could have been said and the negative things going on in your head that could beat you down, you still rose up from that. And that really spoke to me. I think that was really just powerful to be able to, to rise from that. Because I think coming out of multiple times in prison, 
versus one time in prison is is there's probably a little bit more of a mental game going on. There's a societal stigma that's probably a little bit stronger on someone who's been in and out. Yeah, they're like times this guy. Someone who's been like this guy's never going to learn his lesson, obviously. Exactly. And um, so you know. And and when you talk about the two points, humility and uh, resilience, or whatever resiliency, uh, yeah, or you know, uh, those two things are totally related. And you know, I couldn't have done I, I, that strength that I discovered and the courage that I discovered uh, and found were all related to that humility and surrender. The surrender I made uh, and said, "Oh shit, I don't care what anybody thinks of me anymore." Um, I'm just going to, I'm going to go out and get this, these, this medic. I didn't know medication would help me, but I actually waved the white flag, uh, in a sense and put a kite into, uh, into psych services while in prison and told them, Hey, I need some help. And that was a huge deal for me. I don't know how much of it was the meds and I don't know how much of it was just a surrender. Uh, but it was, those two things were totally interrelated and I appreciate you bringing those up. Uh, I'm going to pass the ball again to a little laddie. Well, Hey Mike, there's a couple questions I have for you. Um, you can kind of go off on it, but I, I watched your video yesterday and, uh, there is obviously one person in your life that had just, um, an amazing amount of accountability to you. And, uh, she was on the video with you. Of course, it's your wife. Yeah. So can you kind of tell us a little bit about that, how you met her, how she became that pole for you when you were in there and how she helped you out while, you know, while you're trying to discover yourself? Definitely. That's, I, I was kind of wanting to go there anyway. That's a, that's a really good question. So, um, so it's interesting because we were kind of talking about me being at the reception center and kind of just getting started. And for folks that don't know what a reception center is, it's kind of the transition. They kind of, everybody that's just getting to prison, they send you to this place and that's kind of where they, kind of divide where you're going to ultimately go as kind of what they call your permanent institution. And I remember being at this reception center and the level of violence among the gladiators was incredible. And there was one institution in the entire state of Florida that I did not want to go to. And it was Brevard CI. It was dubbed gladiator school. It was the most violent institution in the state. They wake me up on a Friday morning at 4.30 in the morning and guess where they send me? We know to Brevard CI, <laughs> and so the bus ride there from Orlando, Florida, over to uh, it's in Cocoa, Florida. It's not standing any longer. It was in one of my videos, but they've uh, thus tore the prison down and stuff. They shut it down ultimately from violence and stuff in 2011. And so, I um, the bus ride there, the mental game that was going on inside of my head was insane. And I get there, they throw you off the bus. They're letting you realize, you know, young man, you ain't in Kansas anymore. This place is the real deal. So I'm kind of absorbing this. And I just so happened one night, uh, my probably my first or second night there, I borrow a radio from a friend and I'm listening to some music, kind of some positive. It was kind of a Christian station. And um, it's kind of a, I'm from the hip hop era. So I kind of like rap and hip hop. And it was Christian hip hop playing on the radio. And this young lady comes on who was the host and her name is Robin. And she just had a genuineness, a joy, and just a like just an energy about her that was really just inspiring to me. And I started listening to the show week after week, and then a group of us kind of started making it a thing we looked forward to every Friday. And one night, I had asked my mom. I said, "Mom, can you call this radio station? Here's the number, and ask this girl. Her name is Robin. Ask her if she'll play some songs for us guys here in prison." 
Well, Robin had grown up in a completely different world and environment than I had, had never even as much as smoked a cigarette in her life. You know, very clean cut, you never exposed to this. And so when she had learned that her show was reaching inside the prison walls, she was overwhelmed, like, wow, this is awesome that the message and the, and the positivity is getting inside of there. And um, she had no idea. She thought that we that it was like you see on TV. We get a glass of water and two slices of bread daily. That's what she thought. And um, to know, you know, to know that we've got radio it just blew her away. And so she did. She came on the air, gave us a shout out, and um, you know, we felt extremely cool and famous and all this other <laughs> stuff. And uh, you can imagine, Dave. You know, there she she mentioned my name and a couple other buddies' names, and we're listening. And there's other guys there that are listening, and they're giving us thumbs up. And we, you know, we're just really, really feeling cool. And so. She invited us to write to her and just kind of tell her our stories. And and I did that. And I just kind of wrote and just kind of shared life, you know, where I had been, where I was wanting to go. And, um, you know, we wrote back and forth for a couple of months. And um, initially, my angle, I, I never had any desire to have a girlfriend or have anything. I'm sure, Dave, you know, being in prison with a girlfriend is one of the most challenging things to do. It makes your time very hard. You're always thinking, what is she doing? Where is she? What yeah. all this stuff? And I did not, I did not want to subject myself to that. And after a couple of months, it became very clear that there was something here, something even divine going on. And yeah. she'd come to visit me, and you know, we talked. And she ultimately uh, spent seven and a half years waiting for me, coming to visit me weekly, and talking wow. on the phone. And um, we we got married. I came home in September of two thousand and nine. And right as I was coming home, the economy in my local area here, um, I'm in Melbourne, Florida, which is a little bit south of Kennedy Space Center. And um, a lot of the economy was kind of tied to that. And um, the real estate market is a really big investor area here. There's a lot of beachfront properties and such. And um, so I'm, I'm getting ready to come home and the economy just tanks. She had a local business that wound up just going what, under just, what year was this 2008 or nine eight yeah eight into nine area mm -hmm. and um you know so all of these things were going on and i'm getting ready to come home and you know one of the things i share this you know when i go into the prisons one of the things that i share with the guys inside is very different than what they usually hear you know you know how it is dave most of the people that come into the prison usually bring a religious message and the religious message usually is Jesus loves you. Here's a cookie and they patch you on your butt and send you on your way. And <laughs> that's not really helpful. It, it doesn't cover your, the feelings that you're having and the experiences you're having. It, it doesn't, it does not by, nor does it prepare these guys for the reality of what life is going to be like when you walk out of prison and getting ready to come home. I, a lot of people ask me, you know, what, what do you think helped you get out and transition? into regular life out here and and face you know kind of some of the the shut doors in your face you know right before i left prison i kind of just started realizing you know what life was going to be like out here and i started to realize you know no one's going to accept me they're going to see me the same way that i'd given them to see me the only thing i'd ever given the world is crime and, and failure and and drug addiction that's all i'd ever showed the world why would I expect that the world is going to see something different just because I say that I'm different? And you knew and so this. so I left. I knew this. I yeah. did. I did. This is, I'm about 28 at this time, so I'm literally a few months from going home. I actually wrote myself a letter about five days before I left prison sharing a lot of these kind of things to remind my free self of what life was going to be like. And so 
as I came home, I welcomed doors being shut and people seeing me as a criminal and, and rejecting me. I allowed it instead of letting it be the thing that would destroy me because I'd seen it happen. I'd seen so many guys. I literally seen guys leave and come back during my sentence multiple times. And every single one of them shared this commonality. Every single one of them shared this. Once they left, it, they were completely just disjointed and what they had expected life was going to bring to them when they left prison was not what they encountered. And I realized these guys are leaving expecting the world to throw them a party. Well, the world's going to say, hey. I'm curious, what, what are these guys, um, you know, were they working on themselves while they were in there um, and and then disappointed because they had too high of expectations or were they being... Yeah, I think so, yeah. Because I'm kind of curious also, um, before we go too, too much further, um, what kind of system is it down there and what, what opportunities are there? For, you, for you know, they're, improvement it, they're, they're, getting, they're getting better now, Dave, but they... Uh, for the younger, like the, one of the benefits that I did have being going to a, a, a juvenile, you know, a, a gladiator kind of an under 21 institution is they did have more trade type things available. But over the years, um, especially when things started going south with the economy, there were some things that happened. A lot of the programs got yanked. So really, mo there wasn't very much. There wasn't really most institutions. GED was about all you could do. And I remember that too, and that's, that's a lot of that. A lot of the time, that was the case too. I was fortunate enough to get into a drafting, computer-aided drafting program. It took me. I had I had to be on the list for something like three years, and um, I didn't. The last thing in the world I wanted to do was go to school. But um, by the time I, by the time I got that opportunity, I was ready for it. I was thirty-eight years old, but. That's how long it took me, uh, but but then they took the damn thing out. Here yeah. I get, I get really they, successful. They, they, I, I mean, I have the success mindset that I've developed, and I'm like, man, I want to see everybody else do this too. But there just wasn't the opportunities, you know. And that is, and that's unfortunate. And and you know, we kind of talked just a little bit pre-show, but one of the things that I, is my mission and something I'm really working to do is bring the even the entrepreneurial and a lot of these types of training and skills into the prisons and, and let these guys because truth is you know what one of the things i walked out of prison david and i share this with a lot of folks to kind of get perspective of what 10 years looked like 1999 to 2009 during that span of time things were released to the public things came out that have changed the world google facebook oh, flat yeah. screen televisions ipods smartphones all of these things were things that were created while I was in prison. And I remember walking out of prison and seeing kids, eight, nine, ten-year-old kids with cell phones and just and texting. Even smartphones, and, and yeah. Smartphones, right? And these kids looked like, they looked like rabid squirrels eating a nut, just going insane, typing and texting. And, and I'm so far behind. I have no idea what the heck they're doing, what's going on, how to catch up. And it, it definitely has the ability to really discourage you. And... I kind of drew from that, that, you know, um, the world is different. And I think the expectations that guys set when they leave prison is, is 60, 70% of their ability to create success here. Because if they set the expectation of, you know what, the only thing I've ever given this world is failure and crime. Now I'm going to earn respect instead of expecting respect. That's and I think that's an so area. True. Yes. 
And it's an area, man, where I think a lot of guys don't. You know, they leave prison expecting their family and loved ones to just welcome them back and expecting the world to just give them respect. But truth is, man, you, you've never given them any reason to. How about you shift that, you know? And, and for me, I let kind of, you know, some of the naysaying and, oh, he's going to be back and he's going to be getting high again and he's going to be doing whatever. I let that stuff fuel me to create a different story. Well, this is fantastic. Let me, you know, the parallels between your story and mine are significant. I uh, went through the same thing at a much later age, but I, when I got out at the age of almost 43, the day I got out, um, I was, I had a new lease on life. I was just like, uh, I was reborn and you couldn't fuck with me. Um, I, I just jumped out and just started kicking ass. I had, I was fortunate to have my mom uh, uh, provide me her garage to stay in, um, which you know, I, not everybody even has that. But uh, you know, and I was able to take advantage of the fact that my family had a had a bakery. You know, I would have chose something else if I didn't have that opportunity, and I would have knocked that out of the park, you know, the best I could. But uh, this was my opportunity, and I played to my strengths and my advantages. Uh, so, but, you know, when I got out there and I was walking out there, it, unlike other times in my life and other people that I saw doing things, I was like, oh, you tell me I can't do that, or you say I'm this and you say I'm that. I know otherwise, and the more, the more I succeeded at proving them wrong, uh, the stronger I got. You know, I just kept building. Definitely, just kept building on it, and I was meeting people, doctors, lawyers, attorneys. Well, lawyers and attorneys. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, and uh, all these different, you know, professionals and people I would have never met before, politicians, news people. You know, and you know that where uh, the news folks are interested in these stories. And yep. I, I was meeting all this, all these people because of this bread and because of my story. And it was, I was just loving every minute of it. It was so pure. And, uh, it was just a pure purpose and I just couldn't believe it. And that it was like that for years. I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to stop for just a second and pause for this coming message. Um, Felony Inc. and yours truly are supporters of MCED Thrift Store. MCED Thrift Store and Outreach in Oregon City, Oregon. Hi, Chelsea and Glenda. Those are the proprietors of this great idea. Uh, the mission is to be a vessel to reach people suffering from addiction. And uh, Chelsea speaks from experience. MCED has an upcoming fundraiser August 4th at the East Portland Eagles Lodge with music from Trent Beaver and who else, lad? The Killer Granddaddies. Yeah, that's us. There will be a lot more going on, too. Visit mcdoutreach.com for tickets and info. And today's episode of the Felony Inc. podcast is brought to you by Publicize, a deconstructed PR subscription service which generates effective visibility for your business. Publicize offers your company a dedicated account management to developing your insight into the world of PR and communication strategy while providing all the support you need. Check them out at publicize.co and tell them Dave and Lad sent you. Also, listeners, 
please leave Felony Inc. podcast a, a review on iTunes. We might even read it on air. And I'm not going to say that. You're not going to say, motherfuckers? What's wrong with you, sissy? He writes it in there, Mike, for me yeah. to say these things. He's say motherfuckers, but lad, lad is a devout, um, he's, lad, that motherfucker is a devout uh, Satanist. And <laughs> Satanists do not say things like that. That's right. We have a reputation. <laughs> All right, so let's get back to this. You know, I just got through running my neck about my uh, experience getting out a little bit and just how amazing it was, and I know yours was like that too. Yeah, it, it's. I, I mean, your story. I, 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 watching the video and and the ability. Um, when you guys first reached out to me, I was like, "Wow, holy crap, Dave from Date!" Like, we buy your bread. Like, I, <laughs> I'm all the way in Florida. And it is, it's everywhere. It's all over. There's a lot of, you know, local, like, uh, organic stores. And it's always on an end cap. And when I got the email, I'm like, wow. And then I dug further into the story. And, like, you, to do that, you know, considering the circumstances, really took tremendous resilience, man. And I think that is such a message. When I go back and I do talk to the guys in prison, I still have some guys that I write to now. Um, I've been in a speaking stuff. You know, the message that I bring to them, I feel like it's if if I can at least give them one thing and just get them to get in tune with the reality of what it's like. Because when you're in prison, I'm, I, I got a buddy who just came home after doing 15 years. He just came home in October, um, came home. He's got a 16 year old daughter. And, you know, there's definitely some life challenges that have been have faced him. And one of the things he's found that he struggled with coming out here is the expectations. Right. And those expectations have been put on by himself, even though while he was in there, I talked to him and I said, hey, man, you know, it's just because you're free doesn't mean all your problems are gone. Because, you know, when we're, fact, when there's we're inmates, brand new ones, there's brand new ones. Right, Dave? So when you're when you're an inmate, you feel like the worst thing that could ever happen to you is being an inmate. There's nothing on the other side of those fences and that life could bullshit. ever throw at you. Yeah. And, 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 Absolutely. Say that again. That's bullshit, brother. Yeah. 100%, man. And, but, you know, as inmates, you know, and, and as, as guys inside there, we, we begin to build this kind of utopia of what freedom is like. And, and then we get out here and life smacks the piss out of us, right? Life smacks us hard. Mm -hmm. And if you're not mentally prepared and if you're not even willing to observe and look and kind of recognize, you know what, just because I'm going to be free in six months or I'm free tomorrow or whatever, doesn't mean that all, all magically, you know, they're going to roll out the red carpet and it's going to be all this stuff. No, nah, I'm going to be faced with a whole new set of problems. You know, that brings up another point, uh, which is become free in prison. You know, yes. get mentally free in prison. You got to work at it, boy. It's not easy. If you if you make that a goal and you listen and you and you learn and you 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 take all of the information in that from people who have succeeded who are who have a good attitude and are doing going the right way if you um are able to do that you're eventually going to find that freedom in prison uh and if you can become free in prison then you can be free on the streets too i agree and I it's also, important i, I... go ahead uh, no, I was just going to say it's it's just it's just important, man, to to start it on the inside because if you're not already preparing it, you're going to get out here and it's it's it you ain't going to have the time to start preparing when you're out here. That's right. That's absolutely right. And you know what I'm going to say? Uh, for me, it was the trades. Learning a trade opened my opened my mind 
to the fact that I could do other things. I would have been happy just continuing the trade, uh, which was CAD CAM and, and could have gone to engineering and other things. Design was my, was I think my strength and um, design in general, if people can learn to design, they can design their lives, they can design products, they can design uh, so many things. You can, you, the power is ours and um, to change your life and to, to make a difference. Instead of blaming, now we're taking accountability. Yeah. And how powerful is that? I think that's key, man. I, I think that's that's probably the, the first lesson that I learned. I woke up in the jail cell, because I'll, I'll kind of talk, I'll, I'll go back a little bit to the night of my crimes. I had taken so much Xanax and alcohol that they said I shouldn't have woke up. And I woke up r- literally not remembering anything that had happened. I'd robbed two convenience stores and with a pistol. I had no idea any of it happened. And I wake up and there's this affidavit sitting in my jail cell telling me that I'm charged with two counts of armed robbery, aggravated assault with a deadly weapon, this, that, and the other. And I remember nothing. But through that day, as I began to sober up, I started to realize the choices that I was making and that those choices had consequences. And the shift for me then, I think that's I think that very moment, realizing, realizing this is not a game anymore. You're 18. You're about to go to prison, dude. Who knows how long it's going to be for? But I knew I was going to prison. There was no doubt in my mind based on the crimes and, and, and my my past as a juvenile. I'm about to go to prison. And I realized these are the culmination of choices that you've made. And if you ever want to change this, you need to take accountability and responsibility for those choices and start changing them and start making different ones. That's right. You know, and Mike, you know, I, I know when you got out, you, you know, you got with your girl and, and you started these, this, you know, the new businesses and everything. But I always like to hear, you know, the kind of the personal side about, you know, you're talking about you were raised, uh, your family and, you know, difficulties they, that you had during those those years. So you get out, you change your life. And, you know, the big thing is, is I like to see is the change. When I when I see somebody that, that Dave's talked to or Dave's interacted with and uh, somehow changes their life and they get on a positive track or if Dave employed them at, you know, at the bakery or whatever, I love to see that. So here you are, you're getting out, you're going to get married, you're having a family, and now tell me about the positive influence that you've had on your family and, and prior friends. Yeah, well, that's that's a, that's an interesting question, and we could talk almost for an hour on that. So here's here's life for me when I come home, right? I come home, I'm excited, I'm changed, you know. And Dave, I know you can totally relate to this. You know, when you've got something and you found change, and and you you know you're going a different path, you're kind of excited. You want to give it to somebody else. Yes, that's what giving back is people. all about. You know, you're 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 excited, and so the very first place that I tried to share it was with my family, my parents. And I thought that it would be welcome. I thought that it would be open arms. Wow. You know, he, if he, you know, they knew who I was. They raised me. They were around me. I didn't need to tell them the story. They knew the deaths. And so for them to see a difference, I thought would automatically open up. They're like, this guy's full of shit or what? No, no, it wasn't that. It was, there was a pride involved, man. And I think, their own inability to take, especially my mom. I can't, you know, my, my, my dad's in a different category, but I don't know what how deep you guys went, but if you read my book, From Prison to Prosperity, I kind of talk a little bit about uh, the relationship with my mom is, is nil. It's not, it's gone. There, mm-hmm. there won't be a relationship. She suffers from serious mental 
like almost sociopathy, like borderline she's personality disorder type thing. Yeah, stuff like that. And like she's literally gone out of her way to try to destroy my businesses and attack me. And it's a long story, but I do kind of go through the depths of it in my book. And it's kind of something that's hard for people hey, to really uh, understand. Tell us the name of your book one more time. It's from prison to prosperity, and it's uh, it's on Amazon. Yeah, and this was uh, this has sold quite a few copies already. Yep, uh, we launched it, and uh, as soon as it launched, it became a, a Amazon bestseller, and it's been it's been in the prisons all across the country. We do a really cool thing with every one book that sells, we give a free book to some random inmate somewhere in the country. We just look up an inmate and send him a book to Great just idea. get the message into the prisons, man. You know how it is with books like that. You know they they pass them around the institutions and. Guys are like, hey, if you read this book, this dude turned his life around. And that's our goal, man. We just want to get them to see that the story that you've been told, that's not the end of the story, brother. You can turn Guaranteed. it around and you can you can create something different. You're absolutely making a difference, Mike. Um, but yeah, go you, go ahead and go on with your story. So yeah, so 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 just you know, with coming out, you know, I thought that was gonna be the case. And you know, I think I think as I look back, you know, why was why did my mom ultimately become one of my biggest enemies and haters you know when you when when someone thinks of a mom you think if you could kill somebody in front of one person and they'll still stand behind you it's your mother and that's not the case for me you know that's not the case for me it's you know it's a little bit different and that's okay you know i, I welcome the good and the bad that life throws at me to realize that those are the things that make me who i am but it i realized that as i came out of prison 10 years i was in an incubator and i was growing and i was changing while the people outside weren't and I found that one of the biggest problems that I encountered, especially with my own mom, was that the person that I had become when I left prison, she couldn't take any credit for it. She couldn't look at it and say, uh, hey, that's the son well, that I raised. Get it. I get it. And yep. she, you know, and, and, that, and that was hard. And she's never had the ability to swallow that and kind of take her own responsibility for, you know, for, you know, raising who I had become at 18. And, you know, while there's no blame there, you know, I know. The choices I made were the choices that I made, but there's still for her to be free, you know, for her to be free from the guilt and the shame and whatever went around that. She's never been able to do that. And it's only resulted in turning that and internalizing it and, and pushing it and attacking me and, and trying to create problems in my own life where I've, you know, I had to kind of separate it. But at the same time, the spin positive to your question, lad, is that. There have been lots of friends. You know, I have several guys that have come home, man, that, I, that I've helped. That you know, I've been there the day yeah. they came home from prison. And, you know, they just, they, they absorb the, the positivity. They absorb the message. And for them to see, wow, bro, if you could turn 10 years around, if you could literally come out of prison with no skills at all, you've never had a job, never been employed, never paid bills, never had an apartment, never raised a family. If you could come out the other side and learn how to do this, then I'm pretty sure that I can. And that message has helped lots of friends that I had while I was in prison that have now come home and have turned their lives around. And the just the acceptance of the message has been kind of overwhelming. And Mike, your humility shines through because instead of it being all about, hey, look what I did, look, look at how amazing I am, and all this, you're like, hey, if I can do it, others can too. And that is a powerful thing. That is powerful. That humility and the acceptance and the courage are, you know, if people can just understand how powerful those things are. Definitely. And it's important, man. It's, it's, it really is important for these guys, you know, to come home and, you know, have somebody. And, and you know what's interesting? The, the more that I put my story out there, Dave, 
the more I'm seeing that their stories just like ours. I just I just made contact with a guy yesterday who started uh, he was at a federal institution and he was sick of the food <laughs> of all things, right? The food's in the in the prisons. And he started making these bars out of yeah. butter and honey. They were originally called prison bars and now they're called inside yep. out bars. I know Seth. Yep. Yeah. Yep, correct. I just I just He's gonna be on our show soon. And, and I just thought I'm like, wow man, like like it's just changing. And you know what I, I think is really cool? I'm starting to see this now, and, and, and it really excites me to see how things are really shifting, man. I, I, my buddy, I told you he just came home in October. He's got a part-time job at Home Depot while he's trying to build a business on the side. And it was interesting that when he went to get the job at, at Home Depot, they never asked him if he was a convicted felon. Hmm. They never cared to ask him. They didn't do a background check. And I'm starting to find that with more people like you and I and, and the brother that started that the bars it's and, changing the way people think it is changing the way people think man and they're starting to see just because you made a mistake yesterday or 10 years ago that doesn't define who you are we're willing to at least give you a chance and I think that right there is what completely changes things and I think that's the thing for guys that are going to you know come out in the next five years 10 years 20 years that is what most of them need. They just kind of need to see, you know what? I, I, I at least can get another chance. You know, like your situation, you shared, you couldn't even rent an apartment. Like how hard is life when you can't even, when you have money and you can't even live somewhere yeah. just because you have a record? Yeah, it's, it's really uh, ironic that I was, I had my own little taste of fame before I ever had uh, the ability to um, get a, an apartment. By, <laughs> except for having known somebody, I knew somebody who was who was uh, willing to rent to me uh, all those years. But it, that's just that's why housing is such an important thing. But uh, you know, all these different challenges that inmates, people coming out of prison, have, and um, it's kind of a, a passion of mine to try to help help people with that. David, do you Me remember um, the, on the news they were talking about, it's called Ban the Box. Yeah. Have you heard of that? Mike, yeah. have you ever heard of that? No, no I haven't. It's, it's in Oregon. It's, it's probably a, Oregon. It's an Oregon thing. But what it is, um, you know how when you fill out an application for employment and, and it has on there, are you a felon, an ex-felon? Well, what they okay. wanted to do is they wanted to ban that box. They wanted to ban that on an employment thing so that they, oh, nice. so they could at least get you in front of the employer and the employer could then make a one-on-one -on -one decision whether or not he thought you were. And the thing is with that, you know, Dave has had great influence. Eventually, eventually you, the employer does get to know that before he hires you. Right. No, anyway, go no, They eventually can't ask you that. That's important. Yeah, it's not right. the first thing they see. But, the, but at least yeah. you get in front of them. You know, that's the yep. big thing. And see, Dave, I don't know if you knew this from his video, but Dave's company employed about 30 or more percent ex-felons. And, and, and I Mike, did. I, I, I know that, that you know as well as we do that um, it's hand-picked. Dave wasn't just hiring ex-felons to hire ex-felons. He was picking the next good guy or good good woman to, you know, fill the position. And it just happened sure. that they were ex-felons. And we had, and, and when we were, a, a, good, a good point there is that um, it's so easy to, to not do your homework and choose, uh, just choose anybody who comes at you uh, saying, oh, you're an ex-felon, I'm going to give you a chance. Well, you don't. Uh, you don't want to do that with, 
with regular employees and you don't want to do it with ex-felons. You always, you need to do your homework. You know, you, you get what you pay for. So I, I 100% agree. So that's, so, you know, the, the way to success with all these things is there's a lot of low hanging fruit. There's a lot of success. People like you, people like me and lad, guys that you said that changed while they're in prison. I've, I've seen the light that still can't get opportunities like they should. So those are the ones we want to help first. And and while we're doing that, we're going to inspire others to make those changes. And eventually, we we got a world that's a better place. That's right. And you know, Dave, um, if I can suggest something, maybe, uh, you know, Mike, I don't think we even really got... Uh, to the tip of the iceberg with you no, today. We, we just barely got, but you think maybe yep. that uh, you could come back on our show sometime and yeah, uh, bring man. your wife with you this time, and so we can kind of have a little different lad, perspective. Look out, lad. Don't be trying to come on to his wife, you freak. I know. My bad. <laughs> Sorry, Mike. All right. <laughs> well, we're, good, brother, but man, we, I'd be honored, man. You know what, Mike? We got so many things that we haven't even touched on, and you're, you're one of the exceptional guests on this show. We've done... I think over, I don't know how many, over a couple dozen already. It's gone fast. Um, but you're an exceptional guy. And, uh, Thank you. And really, it's really great to, to talk to you today. I want to be in touch with you. I want to watch you, see how you do things, because you're inspiring, brother. Thank um, you, man. I want to thank you. I feel the same. I want to thank you for coming on the show. And um, I, I also want to thank all you motherfuckers who are listening out there. Uh, it's a Felony Inc. podcast with me, Dave Dahl, and uh, Liberace, um, Lad. And thank you to our guest again, Mike Pichotta. Next week's guest. You want to tell them who next week's guest is? Larry J. Levine, who does some crazy shit called Wall Street Prison Consultant. Did you just cuss? I did. I'm sorry. Mike, <laughs> forgive me. So you want to go on with that? Yeah, uh, all you motherfuckers out there, forgive Lad for cussing. I did. I, I'm mad. So join us this and every week live at 10 a.m. Pacific time at StartupRadioNetwork.com. If you don't join us live, Dave, what are we going to do? We're going to... We're going to come to your house when you're least expecting it. We're going to make you fucking listen. <laughs> and guess what? Coming up after the break is Latino, Latino Founder Hour with your host, Edgar Navas and Claudia Cardenas. Their podcast is usually in Spanish. So, ¿qué pasa con mis hermanos y hermanos? Something. Something like that. Hey, thanks again, Mike, and everybody else. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.